welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co-founder of Familius Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. Now, Dr. Manley is a practicing clinical psychologist, author, and advocate who makes her home in Santa Rosa, California. Utilizing a mindfulness-based holistic approach, Dr. Manley focuses on helping others achieve joy and balance from the inside out. Dr. Manley is the author of Aging Joyfully, A Woman's Guide to Optimal Health, Relationships, and Fulfillment for Her 50s and Beyond, Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend, Date Smart, Transform Your Relationships and Love Fearlessly, and the upcoming The Joy of Imperfect Love, The Art of Creating Healthy, Securely Attached Relationships. Today, we're talking about love and the important relationships in our lives, including ourselves. This podcast aligns with the familiar habits, learn together, talk together, and love together. You can learn more about the Familias 10 Habits of Happy Families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Familias.com. For the video of this podcast, please go to the Familias YouTube channel. Now, Carla, welcome, or should I call you Dr. Manley? We know each other well enough. I probably can call you Carla. I like Carla. That works perfectly. Well, thank you for joining us. It is such a pleasure to be here. I'm truly delighted. Thanks for having me. Well, if I may, let me begin this podcast and the subject by reading a couple of paragraphs from your introduction that I think might set the stage for our listeners about what we're discussing. Perfect. You write, for your sanity and the health of your relationships, embracing the reality of imperfect love is a must. Our modern world is filled with promises of perfect, instant love and the prize of instant gratification. The media fills our minds and hearts with words and images that sell quick fixes and the idea of perfect love and perfect lives. These false offerings create unconscious stress and burdens. They set us up to believe that life and love should be easy and that we deserve everything we want and desire. Yet true success in both life and love takes great effort and focus. No matter how much we might desire or strive for it, Perfection does not exist. In a world where nothing is perfect, there is surely no such thing as perfect love. Perfectionism suffocates the soul. The antidote is imperfect love. Little in life is more fulfilling than reaping the hard-won rewards of a job well done. We proudly embrace this truth when it comes to business and material success. We feel empowered by our educational accomplishments. We take pride in spending hours in the gym or biking trails or in front of the mirror to create a near-perfect physical appearance. So, why do we stumble when asked to put similar effort into our romantic relationships? Why do we balk when asked to invest in vital family relationships? Why is a new bike, the latest purse, or a daily latte a necessity while relationship therapy is deemed frivolous or unnecessary? 
It's a matter of wonky priorities. We often forget, or we're never taught, that without love, nothing really matters. You may have a splendid home, mountains of material things, and a successful career. But if you do not have love, you have nothing of genuine and lasting value. That's very profound, and it might be shocking to some people to hear this who feel so successful, but might feel that they have lacked in perhaps the most important aspect of their life, love. So help us understand, why did you say this, and why did you write this book? Like the other books I've written with Familius, I always felt particularly, you know, that my first book came because of my doctoral dissertation and morphed out of that. And then Aging Joyfully came because I was working with an extremely large women's group where aging issues were just coming and coming forward. And from all people of all ages. People in their late 20s were telling me they were aging and terrified of it. And then Date Smart came because I noticed that so many of my clients and people in my group work were thirsting for healthy dating, healthy relationships. And then naturally from that came the joy of imperfect love. When I began putting together more and more of what I've learned as a clinician, a wife, a human being, a partner, you know, family member, all of these things, and really realized how much our pursuit of perfection throughout life, but certainly our expectation for perfection in intimate relationships, intimate relationship with the self, with loved ones, with family, with a romantic partner, really gets in our way. And so that is why I worked so hard on the joy of imperfect love, because it felt like all of my writing as though, whatever you want to call it, God, divine, the universe, was actually asking me to write it, to give this message. And I'm a conduit, and I understand the responsibility of being the conduit, because I want to get it right for whatever's coming through, but not get in the way of what the message is. And so I believe in a world where we're suffering so much from social isolation, from relationships that are dysfunctional, high divorce rate. And not that I'm against marriage, mind you at all. I really believe in marriage. But many people say, well, look at the rate of divorce. Well, the only reason we're looking at the rate of divorce is because we can't count the number of non-married relationships that break up because they're not officially registered, right? So I believe that humans, most humans, do their best when they're in healthy relationships where they are fed in the soul, where they feel safe, where they feel grounded because, and that's why Familius's values have always felt very good to me, home is where we start from. And if we are starting, whether we're five years old or 50 years old or 70 years old or 30, if we're starting from a home base, whether we live alone or with a partner or five kids or nine kids, right? We, if we're starting from that solid place, then we can go out and meet the world and be in a good place. And so I did my best to, in the joy of imperfect love, to create a stepwise approach, beginning with the self, using the principle of attachment and the ideal 
of secure attachment, which many of us do not have, knowing we can earn it gives us all hope. Because if we can earn a sense of secure attachment and use that security within our relationships, then our sense of anxiety goes down, any depression goes down, our joy factor goes up, our interpersonal relationships feel more fulfilling. And then that's what we bring into the greater world because it's coming from our relationships. Oh, that's really wonderful. And I'm glad that you focused on it begins in the home. You've heard that at Familiars, we say the most important work you'll ever do will be within the walls of your own home. So let's focus on love for a minute. Can you help define for us as listeners love, imperfect love, false love, and self love? So at least we have a context of what you mean by those four loves. Okay. Love itself, I believe, is divine in quality. It's the type of, whether again, whether we believe in God, science, you know, the divine atmosphere, whatever it is, I don't want to get stuck on labels, but more the purity. Pure love, which is replete with unselfishness, kindness, goodness, is something I can only aspire to achieve. I know being human and imperfect, I may wake up on any given day and hope to be the most loving person on the planet, but I will fall short naturally. And so that type of love to me is our ideal that we can look to for guidance. Across all religions, all forms of spirituality, we can look to love, in my definition of it, for guidance of what is healthy, what is true, what will breathe good into the self and breathe good into the world. So that's my definition of love. My definition of imperfect love, I described it a bit, giving that the other definition of, you know, gen, of, you know, pure love. Our imperfect love is the human attempt, and we don't all do this. Some of us don't even know the concept. Our human attempt to reach the state of pure love the ongoing quest to say, oh, I mucked it up. So sorry about that. I'll do it again tomorrow. I'm going to make this tweak and I'm going to try a little harder. It's a sincere intent to love as you define. Yes. And beyond the intention, but the action. So taking that intention, the awareness, the intention, and then going the one step further to say, and this is what I shall do. I will learn from this. Oh, I said something that hurt your feelings. I'm so sorry. Let me make a shift and I will try to do better tomorrow. If I don't do better tomorrow, you notice I'm doing it. Please tell me because I want to improve my being, our relationship and the world. And it's a humble attitude. It's one, again, that I can sometimes only aspire to embrace. Sometimes I actually do it. And I think that when we're doing it, in our relationships. I know I was talking with someone the other day who said, well, you know, when you didn't call me back, I felt you know, really upset. And I didn't know I was supposed to call the person back, but that didn't matter. What mattered is I hurt this person's feeling. And so instead of getting defensive or anything, I said, I'm so sorry that I missed that. I apologize. Next time I'll be more careful in our conversations and try to be clear if I need to go, whether or not I'll call you back. And so if we do that, 
and take the opportunity when there's a mishap, a misstep. And we make them all the time because we're imperfect. If we work with that natural urge to be defensive, we all have it because we're, you know, we're based in fight-flight responses and tamp it down and say, okay, what could I do that would be a reach toward this person rather than a push away? And those are terms I use in the book that I coined, a reach toward or a push away. And that's where choice comes in. So that's imperfect love in action. False love, which is what so many people mistake for pure love, is the love that often is triggered when we're dating someone and the relationship is new and we're thinking, we're projecting everything onto them. They're perfect. They're wonderful. And then we say, oh, where did that go? Where did that go? I no longer love this person or this person's no longer loving me. Well, it was likely false love from the beginning. False love also comes into play. And this is very sad because I've experienced it and know many people who have, where somebody is in relationship with you, whether it's a parent or a partner or a friend. And a lot of clients of mine experience this, where the person says, I'm doing this because I love you. Or they will say, I love you, but they'll be disrespectful again and again and again. That's false love. Because imperfect love, which is, you know, that quest to do ever better, will learn the lessons. They will, course ruptures will happen, but they will take that rupture and use it as the opportunity to create something better. And so that's what false love lacks. False love is also, we see it in parenting where the parent says, I'm hitting you because God told me to in the Bible. You know, I'm going to make you black and blue because of this. Or the partner where there's domestic violence, you know, emotional abuse and says, I'm doing this because I love you. Well, no, that's not love. Or the coach who, you know, eviscerates someone emotionally and says, I'm doing this for your good. Well, no. Love is action. So those are three of the descriptors. What was the fourth one you want in Chris? Self-love. And there's a lot of that. So self-love is very prevalent in our society today. So help us understand what does that mean? Self-love. And we skipped over just, and I know you likely did intentionally, toxic love. And so I was giving some hints of toxic love in the false love category. But so let's go to self-love. Self-love is a word, a term that is used quite a lot in ways that I don't necessarily agree with because then it gets demonized and conflated with selfishness or self-confidence or self-esteem. And to me, if I am to love another person, this almost goes without saying, but many people don't know this. If I am to love you or love my partner, I must know you inside and out, not to love you just as a human being, because we can love people just because they're human beings. If I'm going to love you in a truly connected way, I must get to know you get to know your strengths, get to know your weaknesses, and to be able to embrace them 
And if there are some toxic things going on, be able to have boundaries and say, well, to a partner, hey, I love you, but you can't talk to me that way. And so by doing that, I get to truly love the other person and embrace them because I know them and I'm loving them in a full and complete way. And this is often how we love our children. We often don't do it with partners, but you know it's wise to do it. So when we turn that to the self, that same concept, how can I love Carla if I don't know who she is? And so we want to be able to turn our inspection, our eyes inward, not just to other people and what their frailties are and what their strengths are and what they look like and how much money they have and all that. We want to be able to do the same with the self, to look at the self and say, oh, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. These are my hot buttons, not as excuses, but in order to truly get to know myself so I can love myself and be loving with myself. And though, for example, I don't have a super math brain, you know, I'm I'm lovely at many things, but math, you know, I will never be the A plus plus. Yeah, I'm not I'm not Einstein. And for some reason that stuck with me for a long time. And I think it goes back to an eighth grade math teacher, but that's okay. But I always thought, well, there must be some deficiency with me if there's if I can't you know, multiply five digits times five digits in my head at once because I know people can do that. And I came to realize, oh, wait a second. It's just not your forte. You're still a wonderful human being with this, what I perceived as a frailty or a weakness or a brokenness. And then came to look at it and go, okay, so I'm a calculator kind of person or a pen and paper kind of person. Okay, that's fine. And so not hiding that, what one might call a weakness, not hiding it, not making excuses for it, just knowing, hey, I'm a pen and paper person or a calculator person, and that's okay. And so that's an example of where, and of course, as we go deeper into the self, we may find our wounds where we might tend to react or be very defensive or very forgiving or you know very humble. All of these things that are both frailties and strengths, get to know them, make friends with them. And that way, and this is a big premise in the joy of imperfect love, through this process of self-awareness, we transmute, transform our strengths into greater strengths that we can then maybe share with others. And we take our frailties, our weaknesses, shore them up where we can, and embrace them when they're something that we don't have control over like our math abilities that we've taken as far as we can get them. Right. So I would say from what you said, if, if I were thinking about rolling everything you just said into an example, maybe I'm not a great communicator with my partner, and that is a weakness. But in learning about myself, understanding that that is a weakness, learning more about my partner and how he or she wants to have better communication and that I love them, now I can work on being a better communicator because I because I'm in, I'm engaged in that relationship. I want that to to happen. Yeah. And okay. instead of let's say in communication, Christopher, you get very defensive or closed down or you know hot buttons all the time. 
swearing, whatever it is. And you go, wait a second. Am I, is this pushing away my partner or bringing them toward me? And then being humble enough and aware enough to say, hey, I do want to do better at this. Please have patience. I'll keep trying. I'll accept your coaching. Maybe I'll get some psychotherapy, whatever it is. And that is what creates self-love. The defensiveness only walls us further behind our defenses. And it walls us away from ourselves, too. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Precisely. Okay. So let's talk about your subtitle. You used the word attachment. So, and you said, I think in the, when we were at the beginning of this podcast, you used the phrase secure attachment. So I'm imagining that is aligning with push away, or I don't what, I can't remember what you said, but it, to invite someone to get closer to you. So help us understand what secure attachment means in a relationship. Okay. Now, I do have to say we could do an entire podcast on attachment, so I'll give as short a description as I can. There were researchers back in the 50s, chiefly Bowlby and Winnicott, who came up with this concept from working with children or seeing children who had been uncoupled from their family of origin in premature, difficult ways during the war. And they followed them to see what was happening. And the children had interpersonal difficulties, intrapersonal and interpersonal difficulties. And then through studies carried out by many researchers, including Ainsworth, that went decades long. So this is a very well-researched part of the realm of psychology, possibly the best, one of the areas that is best researched. They found that a the attachment between the child and the parent or child and caregiver followed that individual throughout life, became part and parcel of that child's ability to interact in healthy interpersonal relationships for the rest of their life, unless they took steps to shift it. And so it divides into two groups, securely attached and insecurely attached. And securely attached are those kids who had parents that were good enough, not perfect, good (laughs) enough. Parents who were attuned to them 80, 85% of the time, connecting to them, seeing what they needed, responding to their needs, really working to get the child, to see the child, to make the child feel safe and loved. The other part, the insecurely attached children, ended up being, those styles ended up being broken down in that that heading of insecure attachment, ended up having, and I'll grab it so that I can show anyone who's looking, because this, uh, anyone who's looking on video, we can see, and I'll hold it up, right here are the styles. So what we have in childhood is under the insecure attachment heading, is avoidant, ambivalent, and disorganized. Those kids grow up, unless changes are made, into dismissing, preoccupied, or unresolved styles. And so basically what we see is that the securely attached person is able to engage in secure attachment in their adult relationships. And then they model that for their children. In most cases, those children grow up into securely attached adults who can then carry that on in their lives. For those 
who are insecurely attached, those who are in the avoided classification, they will look like they want to be in a relationship. They may act like it, but when they get into a relationship, they are going to pull all sorts of tricks unconsciously to push people away. They've learned to push people away that that's safe because they learned in childhood that love equals being pushed away. So whatever template we get for love is what we carry on throughout life unless we work on it through self-work or psychotherapy. The next category, which is the ambivalent or resistant one, often called anxious attachment, they are the ones who really want to be in relationships but get scared. And so they'll reach toward someone, they'll push them away. They'll reach toward, they'll couple with someone, but they'll be really anxious and preoccupied about the relationship. As you can tell, this doesn't go very well. It's one of the reasons for for both styles that there's often high conflict or no conflict and just two separate trajectories in a relationship. That's very common with the avoidance style, two separate trajectories. With the disorganized style, That's the child who had a parent that was sometimes there, sometimes not. Highly critical, somebody else was loving. Just way too many conflicts going on in the child's mind and in their environment for them to ever feel safe. So for them, love is threatening, as it is also for the avoidance style, largely. And so in that style, interpersonal relationships are extremely difficult because the child grew up in an environment where love was disorganized. Love had no meaning except for conflict, avoidance, distance. So even though I was trained, so going back to my work, I was trained as a Jungian psychologist based in the work of Carl Jung. I have also embraced EMDR therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, neuropsychology because I keep learning and growing as a clinician. And as I worked in my practice, I became more and more entranced and trained in the arena of attachment and can really see it at work in the lives of my clients. And this also helped me become, really helped me pivot into relationship work which is I love the other types of work I do with anxiety and PTSD, but that's how I came to love relationship work because I could see that healing the attachment style because sometimes one partner has a secure attachment style and the other partner has earned secure attachment and the other partner is really avoidant or anxious. And if you can create some healing in that other person or in both people, the relationship transforms. Okay, so that's a lot of information and very helpful. And it sounds like we're going to need to read your book to make sure that we're <laughs> really in digesting it. But I don't think any of our listeners have had perfect parents. Hopefully, many of them have had imperfect love-focused parents. But you've heard the adage, I'm screwed up because my parents are screwed up because their grandparents are screwed up. So based on what you just said in attachment, Is there hope for us? And if so, how? The hope, Christopher, is that secure attachment can be earned. And that's the beauty of imperfect love. 
that when we're able to look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm a mix of, because the styles aren't very always concrete. Sometimes they're quite concrete, but somebody may be listening and saying, wow, you know, I'm avoidant. My partner and I, we get along, but it's like two roommates who don't really care about each other. And it's like a relationship of convenience, but I want something more. I want, and that's where the change happens. When we start wanting something different or a relationship where somebody says, I'm always anxious. My partner, I'm anxious and I'm super worried and, or I get, go into emotional outbursts. Well, the good news is that our brains can be changed. The beauty of neuroplasticity is that if we put effort into changing ourselves and we want to do that, we can absolutely change. And that's such a blessing of the work I do because I have the lovely privilege of working with people who want to change and they transform before my very eyes. And sometimes they'll come to me, you know, six months into work and go, oh my God, my life is so changed. Yeah. And they say, thank you for helping me. I said, well, I'm a light. You're doing the work. I'm just holding up a lantern. You are doing the work. And that's the beauty of the desire to evolve and become a better human being, which is really the foundation of the the joy of imperfect love. Mm -hmm. If you desire to evolve, and I will continue evolving because I will, it's my intention, I'm going to do it until the day I die. Because we will always find another area to work on, another area to polish. And I use, you know, images of gemstones in the book and polishing because we can always polish ourselves. And the minute we think, oh, I'm great, I'm done. Something else comes like, okay, now work on this. So it does become easier. But if you embrace that as a reason for being on the planet, to be an ever better self, an ever better partner, an ever better parent, an ever better member of your community, oh my goodness, what a privilege. I think you begin each chapter with this word, Kabachan, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Kabachan. And the idea of being a gem that has been polished, that often highlights a piece of jewelry or a tip of a pen, right? That we can look at those little bits at the beginning of each chapter as little gems to put in our heart. Maybe, you know, take a picture, put it on the wall, whatever it is. And little sayings that help guide us and remind us of the importance of being on a journey of love, of imperfect love. So using that metaphor, or I'd say probably is more of a simile, is that we are all, well, I guess it's a metaphor, we're all a rough stone rolling. And we get it, and life gives us a nick here and a nick there as we go through these experiences. And if we allow if we allow that, eventually we be, can not be a faceted gem that shines light in certain directions, but we can be a polished gem that is smooth and warm to touch, right? Perhaps maybe different analogies there. That, I like what you've had to say there. That's good. It's, and I really believe that we, if we choose to be faceted, we can be faceted. We choose to be smooth and polished. We And it's, again, it's so interesting, Christopher, that you brought this up because I was just working with someone 
earlier today on the relationship cards that will be a go with the book. And in doing that, we were highlighting some of the cabochons and how important it is choice, the power of choice. And that seemed just to be coming up in those cards today where how we love is choice. How we evolve is choice. How we were parented is not our choice. No shame, no blame to our parents. That wasn't our choice. But how we choose to channel that energy, the parts that our parents did well, do we bring that forward and amplify it? Do we look at where they didn't do so well and forgive and purposefully shift it? Or do we carry it on? If we had a father who was mean and critical and all over the place, do we carry that on? If we had a parent who was an alcoholic, do we carry that forward? Or do we choose, choose to carry something different forward? So we can't control what happened to us. And again, that's the part of imperfect love. It's so freeing when you realize all I have to do is try to choose wisely every day. And some days I'll muck it up and then I'll try and choose a bit more wisely. So we could probably talk for hours about everything that you've included in this book, but we encourage people to to get the book uh, wherever books are sold. But before we end, it, there's a lot here. Let's end this podcast with you communicating to us some maybe a question we can ask ourselves. What can we do to perhaps become more self-aware of our strengths and love ourselves? And be aware of our weaknesses that we might need to be aware of them and try to make them strengths. What wisdom can you give us today to help us start this journey, even before we buy your book? (laughs) One of the things I would say is you can visit my website and under the toolkit area, next to each one of my books are free downloads, absolutely free download, look at them, and doing any one of those for any of the books, because all of my books, because I believe that we need to do the work in order to change. Reading a self-help book is not going to change anything, or not very much. Reading a self-help book that comes with empowering exercises that guide you into how to turn inward, that can be life-changing. That's why I put all the effort into creating that style of book. But I think it's important, you know, for readers, listeners to know You can also go on and get a taste of that, no charge, on my website and get yourself on that journey of learning because learning to look inside. Carl Jung says something to the effect of he who looks inside awakens, he who looks outside dreams. And we're used to looking outside. We are programmed to look outside so we buy more because we're looking outside then we want, 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 do, do, do. But if we reprogram ourselves to look inside, and for some people that's natural, but for many it's not. And so go on my website, find my books, take a free download, print it out, and just spend some time getting to know yourself. Getting to know yourself. Help our listeners know what your website is. It's drcarlamanley.com, and it's spelled D-R. C-A-R-L-A-M-A-N-L-Y.com and look in the toolkit section and the you know bar at the top of your screen and you will find the downloads next to each book. Well, as always, thank you so much for taking your time 
sharing your expertise and your passion with us, Dr. Manley. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. It's been so fun. Thank you, Christopher, for having me. Thank you for the work you do bringing really great books of all types, children's books, books for adults, books for everyone into the world. It's truly lovely. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, we'd like to thank Familias for their support in bringing the podcast to your ears and your heart. And we'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familias. One step at a time, one relationship at a time, we can make the world a happier place. <laughs>